So I go in there and there I see is a mutual friend of ours who I did plenty of runs with. Hogtied to the, to the towel rack, pistol whipped with the gash on his head with four guns pointed to him. He tried to steal. Um, he went into their safe and tried to steal some of the product. They, of course, found it, found out. And they hogtied him with the towel to the towel rack. He's just sitting there like this. I looked over at him and I was like, bro, what the hell? Why would you do that? Of course, he got, he got barred out and blacked out. So he didn't know what he was doing. That was his fault. Welcome to our first official episode of 2024. We have Jared Blaine, who's recounting a shocking experience stumbling into the dangerous world of working as a drug mule for the notorious cartel. Hear firsthand of the violence and danger he witnessed while immersed in the cartel's operations. Discover how he managed to escape the clutches of this criminal organization and turn his life around before the long arm of the law caught up with him. It's a riveting tale of redemption and survival that you won't want to miss on today's episode. I hope you all had a wonderful holiday season and New Year's. I am so grateful for all of you, and I thank each and every one of you who tunes into the show, shares the show with friends, and posts about the show online on social media. Because of you, we are consistently a top 200 podcast in the world. And guess what, everyone? Starting February 1st, we'll be releasing three episodes a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern time. I've been seeing all the interview requests come in, and there's so many people that want to come on and share their story that it only makes sense to step it up a notch in 2024 and go to three episodes a week. That's all I got for you. I hope you sit back, relax, and get ready to lock in with Jared Bland. Jared, welcome to Locked In, man. You had uh, quite the journey to get here today. Yep, yep. I mean, attempt number two. I was saying this is the <laughs> second attempt, man. So I, I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, second time's the charm, right? Right, well, right. Technically, third time's the charm, but you did it in two. Yeah, I didn't want to make it any more than that. So where where are you coming from? Uh, so we are coming from uh, Western New York, so just just uh, east of Buffalo. So that's up near like Rochester and whatnot. Yep, yep. South of Rochester, east of Buffalo. So we're, we're yeah. Kinda... Fam- my mom's side of the family lives in Rochester. Yeah. So I, I know what that drives like. Do you guys drive back today too? Yeah. Yeah. As soon as we're done with this, it's a five hour <laughs> drive back. Back but... on the road. But listen, man, it's all worth it. So just, you know, the, just the opportunity to make it happen. As you get older, you realize like five hours isn't too bad at driving. Like when I drive up and back to the city, like that's three right mm-hmm. there and it doesn't really feel too bad or anything. Right. Yeah. I know when I was younger, I was like, damn, five, six hours. Like that's all day. And now I'm like, that's actually <laughs> nothing. So you have a pretty crazy story, but you didn't actually go to prison. Nope. Um, you You were one of the lucky ones that come on the show that lived like a crazy lifestyle, but um, never end up in prison. You kind of like put the life behind you before it it ever gets to that point. Right. Um, take us from the top, man. Like where, where'd you grow up? Where are you from? And what's like childhood like for you? Yeah. So from Phoenix, Arizona, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm half Hispanic. So I lived, you know, living close to the border of Mexico. We, we travel to Mexico a lot and whatnot. And so, um, Basically, I spent my time between Mexico and, and Phoenix, and growing up um, was pretty interesting. I My mom was 15 when she had me, so she was pretty young, and uh, she wasn't obviously ready to be a parent yet. So my grandmother took me in for a little bit, tried to raise me. 
Um, and then I bounced back and forth between my mom and my grandma for some years. But um, childhood was just from the longest that I can remember. I had always seen like trafficking, just drug, run, just ru- drug running ever, for as long as I can remember. Unfortunately, you know, my cousins were in it. My family was in it. So it was normal for me to see. And so I kind of just grew up with that mindset of this is normal. Um, but I didn't really get into like, you know, I think I was eight years old when I took my first shot of liquor. Um, and then I was 13 when um, I, I watched my stepfather pass away in, in front of me, unfortunately. And that kind of led me in the wrong direction. That was that was about the point where I was like, I started just smoking weed. I started drinking, kind of doing whatever. Um, and then I really just, I didn't start using, I broke my, I broke a bunch of bones in a motorcycle accident when I was 16. And that's like when I first started experimenting with oxy and, and fentanyl and whatnot. And that right there was kind of like the start of my crazy life because before that it was just smoking weed, just drinking, having some fun. And then basically I took it as prescribed. And then of course you take it for so many years, then you get, a, you get addicted to it or, and, and then you start having to just start going to different sources for it. Um, but before I get to that part, you know, I became a dad very young. I was 19 years old when I had my first kid and I got married at 19 and from there, I was sober a couple years on and off. And then I got hurt at work again in my mid-20s. Took me right back to the to the life. And that's kind of like where, where we started at was just, mind you, my family was in it. And I ran out of scripts and I had to start buying off the street. And when I, when I ran out, I, you know, I, my cousin introduced me to a couple people. And I would just go there and just be like, hey. Let me go ahead and let me get a couple 30s off of you. And then he ended up handing me a cell phone one day and was like, call me directly. You don't need to go through so-and-so. Just call me directly. And so I did. But I remember the first time I met these people, uh, my family member um, took me over to I'm not going to say who it is, but my family member took me over to the house and knocked on the door. And he walked in. And when I walked in, I immediately got pulled in, slammed against the wall and there's AK-47 and then two pistols pointed at me because he didn't tell them that he was bringing anybody with him. And, of course, you know, those types of trap houses and whatnot. Everybody's paranoid. They're always watching out the windows. And I was – it freaked me out, but I was like, whoa, like what what the hell is going on here? And so – and they were just like, yeah, he didn't say he didn't say he was bringing anybody. So because I was able to handle that situation, I was kind of cool with them. But they handed me the phone and they told me, you call, you come to me directly at this point. And that's kind of what started my whole journey with being, you know, making money, trafficking and whatnot. It, it, it was it was insane, to be honest with you, like how I even got into it because I look like a white guy. I'm half and half look like a white guy, but I speak Spanish and I'm able to I was able to go down to Mexico and just be able to cops didn't think nothing about it. Border Patrol didn't think nothing about it, but. Little did they know what kind of shit I was doing. But you're also like a junkie. So how do you progress from like a, a junkie, you know, addict to someone that's actually moving weight and it's business minded and, and is able to do that? Because I was a, I don't think I was like an actual, like that far gone at that point. I was a, I had a full-time job. I was able to go to work every day and use, I was a functioning addict. 
Um, of course, I couldn't function without using, but I was a functioning addict. So I wasn't like one of those where I was like half, like I was fiending and stealing and robbing people at that time. Of course, at that time, it didn't progress until after I got linked up with them. So when I got linked up with them, it was more, it was just a standard. Yeah, I took pills and that's just what it was. I wasn't like I was actually, I was addicted to them, but I wasn't like a, a full-blown junkie at that time. And had you been arrested or anything at this point? Never. So besides from like a traumatic, you know, childhood, your life was just like, it wasn't crime related. You weren't a criminal in, in any sense. Not, no, not until, not until uh, my, my late 20s at that point. Wow. So I never, never had a run in with the cops beforehand. I never, I don't know how, because even then, like, you know, I'd sell weed, you know, sell some pills, stuff like that. But it was nothing compared to like what I would actually get myself into. And how was your marriage and, and being a dad when um, you were using? So, you know, I was married 12 years. I have three kids um, by the same woman and, and I love my kids to death. And, uh, my, my, my wife at the time was completely oblivious. She knew absolutely nothing. She didn't know anything about my addiction. She didn't know anything about what I was doing. So again, I, I was able to manage it because I wasn't, a, I wasn't full blown off the rocker at that time. So my marriage was okay. But of course we only got married because we had kids. That, that was, that was really the only reason. And then we stayed together because we had kids. So how are you able to hide that from from your wife? She was that woman was just she was so oblivious to really? it. Really, and even your family and anything, or did you not really have much of a relationship with them? No, so my so I was close with my family. So my mom, my mom was an addict on and off. So I would just my mom was the only person that knew that I was using pills mm -hmm. because she would buy off of me and I'd buy off of her. So my mother was the only one. Now. Nobody else, my grandmother, my siblings, nobody else ever knew about it whatsoever. Um, but of course, you know, being that my mom was, and then my mom ended up using heroin after, and that's kind of like where everything started turning for her. But when she, I got clean shortly after she got clean, but that was the lifestyle that, that she lived and she would go and she'd sell her scripts to me and then I would buy them and then I would sell them to other people. And, and that's just the way that I was able to like still feed my habit, but make some money on the side. And I was making really good money at work. It wasn't like I was making jump change. I was making really good money. So I could afford to be able to go and buy three to $500 a day easily for my habit, which is about, which is what I was roughly um, spending. Do you think if anyone noticed and, and tried to help you, you would have accepted that help? And maybe you wouldn't have kind of traveled down into like the depths that you would? Probably. I mean, I can't, I can't say for sure, to be honest with you, but probably, yeah. Just because the way that I grew up, that's what I saw. Mm -hmm. I saw my cousin strung out on, on heroin and meth, and I saw my mom using, you know, pills and, and going from there. So it was like a normal thing for me, but I didn't really think that it had an issue at that point just because I, I had a job and I go to work and I was a husband and I was a dad and everything. Do you and, feel like it kind of got passed down to you biologically? Oh, yeah, I think so. Because... I, I grew up without my father. My father was absent my whole entire life. My my stepfather, he's the one. He's been in my life since I was fourteen. He's the one that's taught me everything, to drive, how to how to use tools, whatever you name it. He's taught me. But I grew up without my father, and I met my father for the first time two years ago. And when I met him, and we finally started talking, our bloodline is just 
dude, we're screwed. <laughs> I mean, my mom's, she, we're addicts on my mom's side. We're addicts on my dad's side. So I, I truly think that it's genetic. And I'll be honest with you. That's why I'm afraid for my kids. I'll be straight up with you. I'm terrified for my kids because I know what it's like to pass down with, with generations. And I'm, I just, the only thing I do is just pray to God that my kids see, my kids know, they know my whole past. They know everything about it. They, they've seen it. I've been open with them um, because I don't want them to do the same crap that I did. Be honest with you. Do you put blame on your on your mom at all? I don't. Maybe in the beginning. In the beginning, I did. But then the older I got, and then I, more that I realized, like it was my choice. It was my choice to use. It was my choice to 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 run drugs. It was my choice to do all that. Um, now, did my mom help? No, she didn't help the process because you know if I hey I need a thirty. Oh yeah, here you go. But if she probably would have been more like, no, I'm not going to give you this. Stick to smoking weed. My mom wouldn't even smoke weed with me. So I don't know how she went from sm- not wanting to smoke weed with me to giving me pills. And then if, if she was dope sick, she would ask me for them and whatnot. But if she probably would have been told me like, hey, you know what? Don't do this. I probably would have not gone down at least as much as I did. Yeah. All right. So let's get in the drug running then. Yeah. What um, exactly how old were you? And what was like that first conversation like? Where where you full on committed to doing the drug running? So I was 27, and again I'd been going through these people just just to buy them, and they handed me the phone and they said, "Listen, you know, come to me directly. I'll hook you up." And of course, they knew I re-upped every day, so every single day they'd call me or text me, be like, "Hey, I, I got you. I got your re-up. So when you're ready, just come pick up." And I was at the point where I, I they'd front me all the time. Of course, I, I'd pay it back by the end of the day the next day, worst case scenario. So I was always good for it. Um, but I remember going to the house one day and they took me into the back in the bathroom and laid out on the bathroom counter was heroin, meth, crack, coke, you name it. It was there. And he was like, you want any of this? And I'm like, no, nah. like I didn't, I never, I, I never messed with uppers. Like I was never, I never did meth or, or, or um, anything like that. I couldn't do that. It, it too much anxiety for me. So I was like, no, nope, I'm good. I'm good. And at that point, I never even messed with heroin. Like I never touched heroin. It was always fentanyl or, or, um, which fentanyl, that's not that it needs better anyways, <laughs> but it was either fentanyl or it was oxy. And so I never, and I was like, nah, I'm good. They're like, okay, well, you want to make some money? I'm like doing what? Go down to the border. You know, you'll meet, you'll meet at this, at this certain place. Um, you'll pick up a car bring it back. I'm like, okay, how much? 10 grand. Say less. Because my sister had done it before and my brother had done it before. So I was used to it. And I was like, okay. So I did it. 10 grand, easiest 10,000 I ever made. It's, it's four hours to the border, you know, three to four hours, depending on where you're going. So, you know, I could go down, drive eight hours and I'm make 10 grand. I'm like, cool. I got it. And, and then that's basically, so then it came to the next, Hey, you want to do another one? Yeah, you want to do another one? And that's just the way that it progressed. And at that point, I was only just picking up and bringing it back. Um, now, mind you, because I spoke Spanish and I was able to, we were running for certain mem- certain members of the cartel. Um, I was never a member. I was never this or that. I never claimed any of that. But I was heavily involved in the, the trafficking and the running, and I, I was dealing with them on a daily basis. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So were you working for the cartel directly or is it like some other gang or group of dealers in the U.S. and they're buying from the cartel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now part of them were part of – so the, the – the dealers I was dealing with, they part they were part of the cartel. So I, it wasn't, but they were in the states based. So they they weren't based in Mexico or nothing. So they were. I, I guess you could say yes and no. Like it wasn't like I was going down dealing. I was going down and in, into the head of the cartel and, and buying from. Them, but I would be getting my orders from members of the cartel on the U.S. side, and then they would send me down. Is it customary to just hire? People like you, I guess, like they knew you were a, a, an addict or a user, you know, like I feel like they'd be smarter than to hire someone like you. Mind you, they knew I was, but they didn't know how they didn't know. I presented myself in a professional manner. I never once presented myself to them like strung out junkie, you know, I'm over there scratch. I'm not not doing any of that. Mm-hmm. So I've always been a very business person um everything i've done in my life i've tried i've owned multiple businesses I, I try to have a business mindset so that was just the way that i looked at it it was another way to go and make money on from a business side all right so walk us through from the time you get the call that you have to go over there like everything the, the pick up the drop off your feelings your emotions mm. what it's like and then mm. crossing the border meeting them over there everything so of course, you know, you're going to have some form of anxiety, especially doing something like that. Um, so you got the four hour drive down there and your heart's just racing and you're just like, shit, am I, re- am I really doing this? <laughs> am I really doing this? But then I realized like I'm, I'm an addict, so I'm going to do whatever I need to do to feed my habit. Um, anyways, so you go down, we meet at a hotel. You, you go to, generally you go to a motel. Um, you drive another car down there. They have a car waiting for you to bring back. So you go down there, you go to this motel, and you stay there, and you could be anywhere from 30 minutes to like three or four hours. It all depends on how long it takes them to pack that car out. You don't ever see that. You don't see them doing that. You don't see any of that. Even when you bring it back at that in the beginning, you didn't. See, you don't see any of the of the drugs whatsoever. Of course, you know they got that shit hidden everywhere, so you don't see any of that. Um, and then they tell you, okay, it's ready. You get in. Drive back from the border. When you go to the border, of course, Border Patrol, U.S. citizen, yes. Where are you coming from? People go down to Mexico all the time to, like, buy antibiotics and different things. So, oh, yeah, came down here, had a a tooth infection, had to buy antibiotics. As long as nothing looks out of ordinary, you're good. And so then they just, just, just cross right away. So, of course, you're sitting there the first time I'm sitting there ready to cross. I'm, like, sweating bullets. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, what happens if I get caught? Like I'm, I'm going. I'm definitely going to prison because you know you and you don't know how much you're bringing back at that time. You just know you're going down, picking a car up, coming back. So, and then what they do is they have a person who drives ahead of you. That's scouts. They look for cops. They look for everything. They're always several miles ahead of you just to make sure. And they're the ones that are always supposed to make sure. Nine times out of ten, you see people get pulled over on the side of the road and get busted. Two things. One of two things. Either a their watch out wasn't 
wasn't paying attention and didn't alert you that there's cops up ahead or B, you're doing some stupid thing like breaking the rules. Like, why, why would you do that? Why, why, you know, and, and, and or somebody set you up to be the fall guy and they and basically they, they call it in because that does happen. They might pay somebody to go down to get to get paid to get caught. Mm-hmm. So when they're on the side of the road, you got a semi truck full of drugs that are just going to drive by. Mm-hmm. Happens all the time. And there's no dogs or anything at the at the border crossing or anything. That no, not not then. Not the, at the, of course things have evolved since then. And what kind of drugs are you bringing? Because uh, wouldn't the car smell of weed or anything like that? Or? So what I was bringing was was fentanyl. It was fentanyl. Yeah, it was it was the blue M30s, which ironically was the stuff I was on. What year was this? The C20. I'm 34 right now. So it's seven years ago. I'm bad at math. Was this like the start of fentanyl coming into the into the country? Yeah, and and to be honest, I don't. It it was new for me. I'm not sure to be to then. It was new for me, um, but this was seven years ago. So we're in 2022 20, and one. So 2016. Knowing what you know now and what the world knows now about fentanyl and, and how it's killing people, do, how does that make you feel that you're bringing it in? Like a piece of crap, to be honest with you. You know how many people I've had die off of that. Personally, how many people I know, how many times I should have, and I didn't. You know, I've had, I've had, I've, I've had EMTs tell me, one day you're gonna, t- you're gonna wake up, you're gonna snort a pill, and you're gonna go to sleep, and you're never gonna wake up again. And that wasn't enough for me to stop. It really wasn't. My kids wasn't enough. My wife at the time wasn't enough. But I didn't really know how bad fentanyl, fentanyl was. I really didn't. Now what I know now, being an advocate for, you know, being five years sober, different things like that, it's almost like, wow, like I can't believe that I even did that. But I didn't know. I mean, I was just, I was just, I'm still young, a young guy, just wanted to make some money. Yeah. What do you think was the drive for you to continue to do drugs, to be consumed by that and also keep risking, I guess you could say your freedom yeah. um, going back and forth? Um I mean, the drive, the drive is, was why you go back to why we start using to begin with, which is to mask your emotions, which is to mask the pain, the trauma that you've experienced. I, I really didn't touch on my childhood much, but I've had a whole, I, I, had, I was sexually molested. I was abused physically and sexually abused. I was introduced to pornography at a young age that I didn't want to. You know, I, I was all that. I watched my stepfather fall 200 feet off a cliff right in front of me. I, I literally watched him fall to his death. So you start using to mask all that. And to answer the question as far as like to risk the freedom is because at this point you're able to make unlimited amount of money that you want to feed your habit. And you're, 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 you're bringing them across to the States to same crap that you're using. So it, it was almost like a no brainer for me at that time was make the money and, and, and I get to break off some of what I'm bringing across. How much do you think you made total running back and forth? And how many trips do you think you did? So I did probably in like a two-year period, I probably did like 15 trips, to be honest with you. And they were 10 grand a trip. 10 grand every time. Every time. So how does that transaction look? Do they pay you up front or do they pay you after? After. Because they want to make sure you get, they want to make sure that they get their stuff. So they, you drop off the stuff at whatever location, yeah. and then they give you an envelope with ten grand. Yeah. So only for me, I would take it back to the house that I'm very familiar with. I take it to them. They go. They look at. It, they make sure everything's good. Ten grand. Here you go. And I remember I had like thirty grand at one point, 
And of course, you know, they say when you make all this money, don't be, don't go out and be stupid and spend it all on everything because they're going to start catching attention. Man, I went out and I bought like a truck, a car, a quad, you know, a, a motorcycle. Like I was doing, I was like, man, I got 30 grand. I go to Home Depot, spend two grand on tools, just different things like that, you know? And then next thing you know, like when I got deep down into my, when I was losing everything because I ended up being on the in other end of, of, I, I was very respected making money to where I owed money to them, where I got into debt. I was signing titles over to them. You know, they come, here's the title to my motorcycle. Here you go. Because I let my habit feed me at that point. Mm -hmm. So, and that was, that was the point. It just destroyed me. And so I was like, how the hell did I go from making 10 grand a trip to bring in this to here you go. They call me every day. We got your re up to where now I'm in the hole with them. I owe them money. They're breaking into my house. They're ransacking my house, looking for money, this, that, and the third, because I owe them. Um, and I ended up, ha I paid all my debts off. I did what I had to do to pay everything off. And then when I got sober, I moved, I, I moved a yeah, uh, thousand miles away to Texas from Arizona. I started over when nothing, no phone, no this, no that. We just, I, I went and started over. And of course that was the start of it. But um, how did I not get caught? I have no clue, man. I really don't understand. Um, how, do, I just, I don't, I don't, I'm mind blown. I tell that every day. People that I have on my podcast that we talk to and they're like, you know, yeah, I did the same thing. And I spent, you know, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And I'm like, why was I luck? Like, why was I the lucky one? I, to be honest at that, that's what I think every single day. I'm grateful and I'm blessed, but why? Yeah. I've met guys that do it just once and they get, they get caught and they're, and they're fucked. Yeah. And I don't know if maybe it was just because I was just, is it because I look white? Like, like, what is it? Like, I always made sure I wasn't sloppy with it. That's the other thing. Don't speed. Don't, you know, not use turn signals. Don't have broken headlights and tail lights. Like, that's a common thing. I watch YouTube videos all day long, dash cam videos of people getting pulled over trafficking. And I'm like, dude, you're a dumbass. Like, why would you do that? Like, yeah. literally, like, you know, you're trafficking that much. Why would you do that? Did you have any like really close calls at all that you, you were like, fuck, I'm caught? Um, no, I, there, there really wasn't. Oh, I, the only one that I ever had was I stopped. I met up. I linked up with somebody. I transferred over to them. And then we left. And like two minutes later, they ended up getting pulled over. Mm -hmm. If it was two minutes sooner, that could have been me. How the hell did that not happen? So I, I always made sure, and, and I always had people watch for me all the time. Like, of course, I'm paranoid. So, um, and that and that's what I'm saying. That goes back to when you're when you're running, you got somebody ahead of you, and they're always watching. Always, there's highway patrol. They call them. Of course, now now highway patrol they have those little infrared scanners. So if you have stuff in your trunk or whatnot, or they they can actually see that. So what would you have called yourself? Like a drug smuggler for the cartel? Just a mule. Just a mule. A mule. Yep. A mule. <laughs> why do why do they call it a mule? I don't know because a don. Okay, well, actually, this is the only thing I can think of because you're a donkey is a mule, and of course, a donkey is used to transport people and whatnot, and and, and maybe you know you're putting belongings on a on a donkey, taking him, for, he's walking it from one end to another. So that's the only thing that I can think of as a mule. That's why they call it a mule. Yeah, but a mule, a smuggler, pretty much the same thing. Yeah. So were you working a regular job when you were still doing these trips, or were yeah. You were. Yeah. So I, I've been in the service field my whole, my, my whole life. Um, I've been in the fire and safety industry uh, as, as a pipe fitter. And so I used to make, and that's the other thing. I don't know why you did that. Cause I used to make some really good money. I'd make like 30 plus an hour making really good money. 
but I was just because cons- you got to have it <laughs> because I got to have it. Yeah. Um, and so I did. I worked. A, I worked a regular job. And and normally there's runs would be like on a weekend. Go down on a Saturday morning, come back. You be back by Saturday night. And your wife's not asking you where where you disappeared to all day on the weekend. Um, I had to go out of town for work. That's what it was. Yeah. I, or when I came home with it, like a vehicle, or I came home with a motorcycle or something or a quad, she'd be like, "Where did this come from?" And I would be like, "Oh, I got a bonus at work." Do you think a part a part of you like wanted to get caught just to like get you away from your habit at all? From your addiction, I, no, probably not because I didn't. I, 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 I don't. I don't think I was no because I wasn't ready to stop. Mm-hmm. I really wasn't. I knew if I got caught, then I would be forced to stop, and I wasn't ready to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, but there was the point where I tra- had transitioned from just just bringing it over to where at that point where then I was now going out and I was selling it. So you were selling the product after after a few months of just transporting it. You know, then I went back and I was like, okay, because it's just, it's extra money. You go out and they need somebody. They're like, hey, yo, you know, can you run down to the corner and and so-and-so needs this many pills and blah, blah, blah. And you just go down and do it. And the next thing you know, you're like, they're going to, they break you off a little bit of that. And so for me, it was just the more money I could get in my pocket, the more money I had for drugs. But that's more exposure too. It is, but addicts don't think that way. So you're telling me you're spending thousands on drugs for yourself too? Easily. Really easily, I spend I spend three to five hundred a day just myself, and that would get me through just the day, just the day. Really, you know. So I was using fifteen, roughly fifteen to twenty um, inbox thirties, and that seems like a, that could kill someone. It can. Half of a quarter of one can kill somebody. And were that, you injecting or were you? No, no. I never, I never injected. Okay. No, I started just regular by mouth. And then just like normal, ate it. And then one day my buddy was like, yo, you should crush that up and snort it. It hit you a lot quicker. And I did. And I never went back to it. Is there any difference between injecting and snorting? I would I would assume so because I would think the bioavailability and how much actually gets into your bloodstream. I've never injected, so I couldn't tell you that. Okay. But I know that like if you snort it, you only get a percentage of it because, of course, it gets in your membranes and whatnot. When you inject it, you're getting the full thing right in your veins. Gotcha. And and with those type of drugs, when you do the injecting, does that give you like the um the like the scars on you and whatnot, like uh some of the other drugs does or not yeah. for the fentanyl? No, it's the same thing. If you're using a needle to, to inject, it doesn't matter if it's meth, heroin, fentanyl, you're gonna get track marks, you're gonna get scarred up. And and like the facial um issues too, like the scabs or whatever that we that's see. That's more people. of that's more of like a meth aspect. Okay. Yeah. You, you don't really see that from opiates. Mm-hmm. But that's more what you see from from meth. Mm-hmm. The only time, so I never went. I guess I should say I never physically injected myself. I would make up excuses and go to the hospitals all the time and say I have this issue, and they'd shoot me up with like dilated or something. <laughs> like that was the other thing. That's how bad my habit was, bro. I would travel for work. I would. I would travel all the time. That's why when I would tell my ex wife like, "Hey, I got to go out of town for work," no questions asked because I would travel every week. Every other week, I was gone for a week or two. So when I'm out on the road, instead of sitting at my hotel at night, I'm like, let me look up the closest hospital I can go, spend six hours in the, in the waiting room, tell them that I'm allergic to Tylenol, ibuprofen, Toradol, just so they can shoot me up with dilated morphine. It was bad, man, where I would literally go in and I would tell them, I think I got a kidney stone. 
And then, of course, so the, the cure for a kidney stone that they want to give you is Toradol, which is just a strong anti-inflammatory. I would tell them I'm allergic to that. I, my throat swells up. So they would be only forced to give me narcotics. And I know they're going to take a piss test. And if, no, if nothing comes back in my pee, it's going to show. I would go in the bathroom. I'd take a razor blade. I'd cut my finger, drop the blood into the fuck, in, into the pee. And then and it would go. They would do their test. They would come back and they'd be like, well, there's blood in your urine. It doesn't look like there's a kidney stone. Looks like you passed it, though. So here you go. Here's a script. I use that so many times. Mm-hmm. I also got and, – and now that I sit here and I tell these stories, it's insane because I'm like, wow. Like I really was a junkie because I got my appendix taken out by a chance, by an off chance of – I went to the hospital so many times to tell them I had appendicitis. And every single time that they would be like – they do a CT, shoot me up with drugs and say, nope, you don't have nothing. And they would send me home. After about 10 times of going to the emergency room, they finally came in. They go, we're taking you to surgery tomorrow. I'm like, why? They're like, well, you've come in 10 different times uh, complaining of your appendix. We can never find anything. So there's probably an issue we can't see. So we're just going to take your appendix out. No. <laughs> so I got my appendix taken out for no reason. <laughs> and I sit here now and I laugh at it, but I'm like, Wow, was I really that low life? Like, was I really that I would go cut myself, bleed into a pee test just to tell them that, yeah, oh, you guys, just to give me, I don't know. But I will tell you this, if I didn't, if, if I didn't get sober when I did, my next step was going to be injecting heroin. I was actively looking. I got cut off by my dealers. I got cut off by everybody because of my, uh, of how everything happened. My next step, I was literally actively looking where I could go and find heroin so I, so I can go and shoot it up. So what came first, you stopping the drug runs and the selling or you getting sober? Stopping everything. I stopped. So I stopped two weeks prior to me getting sober. What, what was the cause? What made you stop? Uh, so because I used to travel, I was a gold member with Hotels.com, so I used to get some pretty good decent rates. <laughs> and so my, my, my plug would always call me and be like, yo— can you rent a hotel under your name? I want to take the family to this to this resort. And of course, it's going to be cheaper for me. You know? And I was like, yeah. So I rented, I got this hotel for them, a resort. They paid for it. I just put my name on it. I had to re-up that day. He wasn't answering his phone. I'm like, what the hell is going on? So I drove down. It was like 45 minutes. I drove down to the resort. I saw the cars in the parking lot. I walked in. I knocked on the door. The guy's wife answers and she tells and she speaks Spanish. She speaks in Spanish. She, she tells me, um, Jared, if you don't get in the bathroom, they're going to kill him. And I'm like, they're going to kill who? So I go in there and there I see is a mutual friend of ours who I did plenty of runs with. Hogtied to the, to the towel rack, pistol whipped with the gash on his head with four guns pointed to him. And I, first thing I look in, I say, what the hell? <clears throat> he, um took a bunch of Xanax and fentanyl and got barred out and blacked out. And in the middle of the night, he tried to steal. Um, he went into their safe and tried to steal some of the product. Oh, wow. He fucked up. <laughs> That's his fault. And so they, of course, found it, found out. And they hogtied him with the towel to the towel rack. He's just sitting there like this. I'm just like, and he's bleeding down his head. And so I look at I look at my guy and I'm like, what the hell happened? What's going on? So he tells me what happens. And I look over at, um, and I could say this, this, this kid's name was Daniel. I looked over at him and I was like, 
bro, what the hell? Why would you do that? Of course, he got, he got barred out and blacked out. So he didn't know what he was doing. But that was his fault. So, Je- uh, oh, I almost said this guy's name. This guy tells me, and he goes, you got two options, Jared. Either A, I'm going to shoot him and kill him. He's going to, he, we're going to shoot him right here on this bathroom floor. Or two, we're going to put him in your truck. We're going to take him to the desert and we're going to take care of him. And I look over at Daniel and I said, bro, you know, I don't have a choice, right? I, I don't, I, I told, I told the guy, I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this. He goes, no, I'm not giving you, those are your two choices. And I know 100% he would have shot him right there on the floor. So I look over and I said, dude, I, you know, I don't have a choice. So let's go. So. We go to my truck. We get him in. He's got two guys with guns to him. He sits in the front seat, the two in the back seat. The whole time they point the, they they just have the gun to his head. And we go out to the desert and we part. Now I stay in the uh, in the truck. I'm not getting out. But they, they both of the guys got out. They walked him out. And um, I literally, I literally had to watch this guy get shot and killed right there. They left him. We got in the truck and we left. Two weeks later, I was done. I was done. Wait, they, this is like some shit from Breaking Bad. I or swear something. to God, bro. I swear to God, all my life, swear to God. And that was your friend. That 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 was. He was my friend in the with with drugs. And, and <laughs> no cops ever followed up. There was no investigation. I don't because I, I, I left. I, I two weeks later I left and I, I went out of state. Never heard anything. And this was the cartel that killed him. This these were people that were. I, I don't I don't know if. I don't know, like, if this was a hit from them or if this was just you. This is just the guy just saying, you know what, I'm just going to shoot you. And because you you got into my pockets, I can't tell you that. I can't tell who it was ordered from. I don't know if this was just somebody in Mexico that said kill him. I don't think it got back that far. I think what it was, honestly, was just that so-and-so caught him getting into his safe. And he knows that if he doesn't take care of it himself, they're going to take care of him. So that's what it was. Wow. That scared the crap out of me, the living crap out of me. Um, and, and, and I'll tell you this. At the end of the day, everyone's got their story, okay? People all the time, there's no, there's no, there's no way. That's bull crap. There's no way. Listen, this is my life. This is what I lived. You ain't got to believe it. You got your story. I got my story. But that is what steered me straight. I literally went back. I was done with everything. I said, I'm done. I paid my I, I paid my debts back. I paid everything that I, I, I needed to. Signed over the titles. And within two weeks, my family, we literally loaded every sold everything we owned, loaded everything that we could tra- in trash bags, strapped to the back top of the car, and drove to Texas and started over. And what year was this? How old were you? Twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. Yep. So a few years ago. Yeah. I got sober in October sixteenth of twenty eighteen. And how old were you? Um, oh shit, this five years. So it was what, 20, 29. And you've never done drugs since? No, I, no, like, you know, I've had surgery, you know, and I've had to take, you know, prescribed, but I've never like actually gone out and now I've been sober. So it, you didn't have any like withdrawal effects or anything? Oh, I did. Okay. Withdrawing from fentanyl was the most absolute horrific thing I, I would ever, I've ever experienced. I would not wish that on my worst enemy. Describe like what, what that's like. You're on the toilet for days on end. It's coming out of both ends. You got the chills. The shit. The, your, your body's just shivering. Hot flashes. Um, you can't eat. You can't sleep. Your anxiety. Your skin's crawling. It is the worst. That's why I tried to get sober three times prior to that. Just 
within the last month, a couple months of me doing what I was doing. I tried because I wanted to. I never made it past 24 hours. Either I left at 3 a.m. with no pants on in my boxers in the car, just hop on and just drive to my plug's house and banging on his window at 3 a.m. Um, that's when it started. That's that was when it started getting bad. When my dealers would come to me and tell me, dude, you got a problem. That's when it was bad. Mm-hmm. So um, it was horrible. Absolutely horrible. So it was just like and that's that's why people, unfortunately, unless they're ready to quit, they're not going to quit. They can't, they can't, they can't quit for you. They can't quit for me. They can't quit for their mom. They got to, they got to quit for themselves because the withdrawals are going to get so bad that if you physically don't want it for yourself, you're going to go use. So did that like vision of what happened to that guy keep you going from from going back? I knew that would be me a hundred percent because I knew how bad I was getting. I knew how bad I was getting. I knew that that would be me, that if. If it wasn't, if it wasn't him, that it would have been me within a month because that's, that is how quick it, it went downhill. It went from me being cool, being collected, being able to, you know, just have this business standpoint to where I was just a junkie pawning everything that I owned. I'd go to my dealer, I'd pull my gun out. Here you go. How much, how much can you give me for this? Mm-hmm. Just trade them, you know, and of course I'd get a rip off on, he'd give me like four or five pills for my pistol and I'm like, I'm an addict. I don't, you know, I, I'm not, I don't care. So that's how bad it got. And I knew that if I kept doing what I was doing, that, that would be me in the desert. Isn't it amazing? Like the power of the human mind, once you're really dedicated to something yeah. and you have like, and, and there's no other options, then you could push through really anything. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the way I look at it. And that's why I tell people all the time, it doesn't matter how many people want you to get sober if you don't do it for yourself. If you're not ready, it's not going to happen. You're never going to make it. So that guy that stole from these individuals, was it technically stealing from the cartel because it was cartel product? Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. And, and these people, like these people don't mess around. Yeah. That's what I've learned. I've had, I've had a couple phone calls since. Um, so I had, I got a call from my brother, uh, um, a couple months ago that he was like, Hey, so-and-so mutual friend of ours, um, my brother still, he doesn't, he, he just still associates, but he doesn't, he doesn't run anything, but he associates. And I guess he brought somebody that into this guy's house who works for the cartel that actually he stole $30,000 from him. And this guy, this, this kid fled. And so my brother called me and was like, dude, he goes, this is what happened. I don't know what to do. I'm trying to get this dude's money back. Do you know anybody you can talk to him? Like, nope, nope, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I know all I could do is literally tell, I, I, I told the dude's aunt, he stole this money and the longer he runs, it's going to get bad for him. But they're not playing around that he will, he will end up dead the longer that it takes. And I refuse to get involved in any of that. I, 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 I've had, I have had that and I'm like, nope, I don't want nothing to do with this. That's crazy. I've been doing good for five years. I don't want. I don't. I don't want to get involved in this crap. So, what do you end up getting into for work when you're starting to rebuild your life? Um, I got into the same field. I, I was able to just go back and get back into the the plumbing and pipe fitting field, and I was able to. Um, it was the man moving to Texas was the best decision I ever made in my entire life. 
Um, that was the beginning of me. We moved there with $1,300, no place to live, no job. The only thing we were going to do was go pay for an extended stay motel within a, a three days of being at this extended stay. Found an apartment. Of course, it was, a, you know, it was in Fort Hood. It was in Colleen on Fort Hood, Texas, you know, in Fort Hood. And of course, you know, Colleen's pretty, it's kind of a little ghetto spot. But we found this two-bedroom apartment. The, the, the landlord was just like, uh, as long as you have the money, I'm good. No credit, <laughs> no background, no none of that. And I'm like, cool. So gave him the money and moved in. And then within like a week, I had, I had, a, I had a full-time job working on base. And the rest was, was history. I had like no social media for a year. I had no no social media. I had a flip phone that only I had only had like two contacts in it. Um, I literally started my life over. That people in my family didn't even know where I went. Very specific people in my family only knew. I didn't want people knowing where I went to because, um, I just didn't. Man, I was I was I I wanted to change my life. I really did, and I I, I didn't want any things to pop up that might cause an issue. And I was like, no. Don't tell people where I went. I stayed away from Phoenix for two years. I finally went back after two years. Mm -hmm. And I was a little nerve wracking when I went because I didn't know how it was going to be. You know, I'm going back into my old hood. You know, my family still lives in the areas. And I was nervous, but I was fine. I went back and I was, there was no issues. People were like, are you scared to come back because so-and-so and so-and-so? I'm like, no, I paid my debts. I ain't got no, I'm not, I'm not in debt to nobody. So why am I worried about it? I, I don't have nothing to be worried about. I just know not to go to this block and I'm all right. What have been like some triggers for you uh, and that you've had to work through uh, in regards to relapsing? Um, I mean, definitely like just life experiences. You know, I, I, I got I went through a divorce um, and my kids live on the other side of the country. So like, you know, when I got divorced, the number one question people ask, like, are you good? Are, are you going to relapse? I'm like, no, I'm good. I used it as, as fuel, but that was, that could have been a potential trigger, but I was able to, I was dedicated to working through that. But then also like, I'm not going to say I don't get cravings. I look at the news all the time and I see, I see all the, the inbox thirties, the pills. And I'm, it, it, sometimes it takes me back to in my mind. I'm like, damn, what it would be like just to do that. But then I realize one time, man, that's how bad it is now. One time, all I need to do is use it one time, and that's going to kill me. Mm-hmm. And I'm a buck fifty-five. I've I, I've been able to snort one or two of those pills at a time. I've seen people three hundred pounds snort half of one and just out like a light. Mm-hmm. So, if I was to relapse today, I'd be scared because I don't think I'd make it back. Like that's the way that I look at it right now. Uh, I don't I don't have another relapse in me because if I if I go out, I'm out. Like I'm not coming back from it. Have you had to like focus on something else, like maybe like move your addiction to drugs to a new area, like the gym or your job or your family? Have you had to kind of like offset it? Yeah, and, yeah. Like, so, like I, that's why I do the podcast. So I, when I started mine, was because I needed one. I wanted to share my story, but then two, I wanted to be able to dedicate all my time and energy to something else. And I work a full time job. My podcast is a full-time job. I'm sending emails and texts. I, 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 I'm, I'm researching. I'm doing everything. And that alone, I don't have any time, man. Between work, at home, and the podcast, I ain't, got, I ain't got time to even think about doing drugs, to be honest with you. Yeah, so tell us about the podcast, why you started it, when you started it, what, what, what it's yeah. about, and what you have going on. Yeah, so it's called the, the Blacklist Podcast. And um, about a year into me being sober, I've always been a huge 
in a podcast, YouTube, you name it. And so about a year into getting sober, I was like, there's really at that time, there was no recovery mental health based podcast. Not like there is now. Now there's one on every, every corner, which is great though. But, um, I, I was like, you know what? I want to create a platform that I can share my, not only my story, but others like we're doing now. I, I, I would just love to be able to show other people that if we can do it, they can do it. And I sat on the idea for about a, a year or two. And I was like, I just made excuses. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where to start, blah, blah, blah. And finally, I was like, I need that. It's either go to go big or go home. I have to do this. So two years ago, I started it. I, I made the Facebook page. I made the name. I, I got the logo made, this, that, and the third. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know where to start, but I'm doing it. And I did. Uh, luckily, my first two episodes I got, I was very grateful to have two um, very big recovery influencers. Um, now now they are. At that time, they were just starting out to see the way where where they're at now was crazy. But they, they saw me and they gave me the opportunity to come on and, and share their story. And I got a lot of great feedback, but I was still, I was still, I wasn't sure how I was wanting to do it. And I took some time off. And of course I, I relocated, I moved to, to the East coast and <laughs> I kind of took a little bit of time off and I rebranded and I restructured everything. And, and then at the beginning of this year, I started back up again and I said, it's happening uh, this time. It, it, I, no, no mistakes, no this, no that. I'm just jumping in. And we're 19 episodes this year, um, which to some people that may not be a lot, but to me um, it is. Uh, but 19 episodes this year, you know, we drop every Wednesday, um, still working some marketing things out. But we've had the opportunity, man, to have a lot of great people on the, on the, the podcast. Um, I, I, you know, we have people from everyday Joe Schmoes to people influencers that have, you know, two, three million followers that this is what they do full time. And all we do is just share stories of just hope and positivity to people. Like that's, that's the main goal of this podcast is to inspire others to, to let them know if it doesn't matter what you go through in life it, that you can change. If you can do it, they can do it. He can do it. I can do it. Everyone can do it. There should be no reason that nobody can uh, um, achieve that. They can't achieve what they put their mind to. And that's what we do. And we've been able to, I've been able to meet and make friends with some great people through this. Uh, some people they have come on the show and we've talked every single day since it just, and I've been able to travel, do some, I've been able to be blessed to come here to do this. And it's, it, it, it's awesome, man. It, it's uh, looking, I was telling my girlfriend cause she co-hosts with me and I have another co-host out of Detroit and, um, I was telling them, I was telling them like, man, to think a year ago to, that we would be here today sitting in this chair, just, just to being able to be here is insane. And now we're going to, and like I told you before we started, we're going to look back a year from now to see how much I've grown, see how much you've grown, to see how much everybody's grown. And just to be like, man, like it is insane. Like when you put, like you said, the power of the mind, when you put your mind to something and you just dive in full force, everything just starts rolling out. And I've been doing it. I don't care if I get two views on an episode or, or, or 200 views or 2000 views. I grind the same way I put out consistently I constantly work. People want to know how I get the guests that I get being a smaller platform that we get consistency. That's what it is. I don't have a, mar a marketing manager. I don't have booking agents. I'm no one. I do it all myself. I, I look, I email, I message, I text. I spend hours doing that. Hours to where my girls got to kind of tell me like, <laughs> hey, but that's what I do. 
and and it's paying off. That's awesome, man. I mean, I have a lot of respect for that because um, I'm that same way. Like once I'm once I'm grinding, it's hard to get me to turn off that grind. Once like I'm in that vision and like I'm annoyed enough to the point where I need to like focus on this and just like go all in because I, I like to turn like anything I'm personally going through, I turn that into motivation to to finish what I you know I set out to do and, and to start it. Um, but that's what it takes to stand out in this. And it doesn't matter. Like the views don't matter. Yeah. Like even if you have one person watching, that's one more person you're positively affecting. Yep. And you can inspire that one person to get their thing going because there's so many people in the world that are too afraid to try, that are too afraid, like they're miserable at mm-hmm. home. They're thinking, oh, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to keep working this job. I don't want to do this. I want to do that. And they're, you know, they're they're afraid to try. So when they hear someone like you come on and say, listen, I've been at rock bottom. I've done some shit I should probably be in jail for. I probably should have been dead, but I've been able to turn it around and get on a good track and use that negative life experience for something positive that's inspiring for people. Yeah. So I got a lot of respect for you for that, man. I appreciate it. I do. Um, it's it's just a drive that I can't turn off. It really is. Um, you know, now I'm like, how do I take this to the next level? You know, I already got one level. Now I'm like, all right, let me take it to the next level. And then it's going to be to the next level. And quality is only going to get better. Production's only going to get better. Everything gets better with time. And that's the way that I look at it. You know, we might be squeezing in a, a, a studio under the stairs right now. But, but I guarantee you six months to a year from now, I'm already, I'm already claiming it. It's, it's going to happen. We're going to move into the next phase. You got to manifest that. And, shit, and that's man. the way I, yeah, that's the way I speak it, speak it into existence. You know, thoughts become things at the end of the day. And that's, I tell people, do not be afraid to just jump because I made the excuses for the longest time. And I'll tell you this before this, before we started back in up in the beginning of the year, I was done with the podcast. I was, I was done. I was going through some personal things. <laughs> I was done with it. I told my girl, I told my co-hosts, everything. I said, I, I don't, you know, I, don't, I just, I don't know if I want to do this no more. I, I lost my drive at that moment. But I would just kept, was told, keep holding on, keep holding on. And I did. And when I held on, it's been nonstop. We're booked up until the, until the end of February with content right now. Three months behind, it's insane. Mm-hmm. So to anyone that's watching and listening, like, don't give up. Because you might be ready to give up right now. And you might just need a couple more swings, you know, to hit to that, to the diamonds, you know, and and, and it's going to break open. But you got to be consistent. That's the biggest thing, consistency. 